Thank you, Allison. Uh, we carry that tension into this new year, right? Tension of joy and sorrow. Um, maybe it's the, the dad in me, but I love a good meme. Um, new year, new meme, right? Um, here's, here's one, Tina Fey. Um, maybe, maybe it's just me, um, but yeah, that's just real. Um, also, I have another one. You guys ready for another one? Um, this is one I saw the other day. You may not be able to see it, so I'll read it. All these people seem to have it together, but I still have no idea what's going on. So you see they're, they're siloed. They're isolated from one another. They all look like they have it together, but, but they're all sort of thinking the same thing, right? I have no idea what's going on. Um, Dave Zoll, one of my favorite authors, he quipped this about this meme recently. He said, we are divided in every conceivable category, but it turns out we are united in our confusion and our inability to control. When you look at that meme, you know, we, we chuckle, but I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we can really relate to that. Uh, just this idea that we can barely keep the lid on, this idea that we're sort of struggling with what uh, some sociologists call imposter syndrome, just kind of fake it till you make it, making it up as you go along. Anyone else? Uh, you don't have to raise your hand for that one. Um, but I, I think if, we're, if we really boil it down, I, it's pretty universal feeling. The good news uh, this morning is that God loves people like this. God loves people like me. Thankfully, he loves people like you, if you can relate to that. Just aimlessly walking around trying to figure life out. 2023 is going to be just as difficult in some ways as 2022 was. Yes, there will be bright moments because Jesus is with us. And yet, just as, we were, as Allison reminded, there is so much tension in every year because we live in such a broken world, such a broken place. And that can often leave us feeling aimless and purposeless, feeling weak, feeling exhausted. But again, the good news is that Jesus delivers what nothing else in the world can. And that's again what we celebrated last week at Christmas and what we're going to, as Glenn said, where we're going to continue to celebrate into 2023, that Christ has come for people like this. In Ephesians 3, uh, the Apostle Paul prays for three things that I think we might be desperate for in 2023. Uh, inner strength, power, and fullness. Anybody else want that? Inner strength, power, and fullness for 2023, for a new year. Um, but before we explore them, if you're able to, I wonder if you might stand just as a sign of respect for a God who speaks to us through his word. This is from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, 
so that you, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Yes, Lord, we need these things from you. We need strength on the inside. We need power. We need fullness. Things that you offer to us freely but at great cost to your son. I pray that we would learn what it means to walk in those things, to live in the things that you offer to us in the gospel. Strengthen us, Lord, as a church, to live for your glory, to live for your story, to live for you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So first, um, he prays, Paul prays for inner strength. That's what we're going to look at uh, initially. I want to get oriented a little bit to Ephesians. It's been a few weeks uh, since we were in this letter. Remember, Ephesians has six chapters. In the first half, um, we've been calling the, the, the song of the gospel. And then the latter half, we're, we've been calling the dance of the gospel. And so we're, we've sort of fast-forwarded to the end of the song of the gospel um, before we jump next week into how that song moves us in the world, kind of like a dance. Um, so before we get to the prayer, though, at the end of the song, I want to kind of back up, rewind the tape a little bit to um, kind of remind us what this song is all about. So Paul starts with God. The song starts with God. And this God that Paul sings of, if you will, is a God who is sovereign, a God who, in fact, rules all things. And he, he uses this word called He's predestined us, which means that from before all eternity, he called us, his people, to be holy and blameless by his grace. So this huge God calls us to be holy and blameless before he made anything. He called you, he called me, to be like Jesus. And then we get into chapter 2, and chapter 2 is a place that has changed world history. In chapter 2, we hear the chorus of the song, that it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not by your own works. It's not by your own doing. So why? We cannot boast. So this chorus rings out. It's by grace through faith you've been saved. Through faith in Christ. This is the chorus that changed world history, literally changed the course of human history, that simple truth that's by grace, not by works, that you've been saved through faith. And then we get to um, the ramifications in chapter 3. So why does this this grace matter? And we said that it's this union with Christ, that we are in him and he is in us, creates unity with each other. Paul uses language of the dividing wall of hostility has been leveled to the ground. So we said it's union, therefore unity. And then we get to this prayer. So that's sort of the fast-forward version of the tape, okay? 
that it's by grace you've been saved. It's God has predestined us to be holy and blameless before him. And this creates unity. And then Paul prays this prayer before he moves into the dance of the gospel. Okay. Let's look at verse 14 really quick. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So Paul kneels in prayer in this, in this portion of Ephesians. And, and just so you know, kneeling prayer wasn't all that common in the scriptures. It happened in a few specific places. Uh, for instance, um, in Psalm 95, we started with, the, with this in our call to worship. The, the psalmist says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, at the dedication of the temple, Solomon kneels in prayer as he dedicates the house of the Lord to God. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion. He kneels in prayer before the Father and prays drops of blood. And in Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul is with the elders in Ephesus, the same group that he is initially writing this letter to, and he kneels and he prays with them. This reveals the significance of this prayer of Paul, that he is on his knees literally begging God for something on behalf of Christians throughout history. And the first thing he prays for is for inner strength for God's people, strength on the inside, strength in our inner being, literally our inner man, power from God for inner strength. This is something that we all need in a time like ours. But in our cultural moment, we're told a hundred times a day from manifold sources that what matters most is your exterior. What matters most is how you're perceived on the outside, what you look like. Do you have it all together? What you have, your persona, your profile, your followers, your outer life takes priority in our culture. And I think our prayers are actually a very good litmus test for what we prioritize as people. Do we pray for spiritual power? Do we pray for a strong inner life? Or, if you're like me, do you often find yourself praying for an easier life? An easier life. Do we pray that God would have more control of more areas of our lives? Or would he pray that we would have more control over more areas of our lives? Look, the enemy, chapter 6 of Ephesians talks a lot about the enemy of our souls, that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. Look, the enemy that we all have loves it when we focus on externals and not the heart, because Jesus wants to deal with the heart. Jesus cares, yes, about your external life. He does. There are plenty of prayers where Paul and, and other characters in the scriptures, other, other people pray for things like suffering, pray for things going on in their life. But this reminds us, is that, it, it begs the question, is this all we pray for? Is the externals? Is our exterior life? What's the bulk of our prayer aimed at? And look, I think as I was sort of preparing this, I, I, I realized that so much of my prayer, both spoken formally and primal screams, you know what I'm talking about? When you just, just groans, 
too deep for words. So much of those groans, and those are prayers too, just groaning out loud, just the, uh, if, if only. So much of that is about my own comfort and not about what Paul is praying for, which is inner strength, which is to be transformed on the inside. I really just want my circumstances to be transformed, if I'm honest. But Paul, he, he, he compels us to pray differently. In the scriptures, uh, Samson was someone who had it all together on the outside. He definitely was a member of CrossFit. Um, he had it, you know, his exterior life was pristine. But the story goes on, we learn that his inner life was a mess. And it cost him his life. On the other hand, Daniel was someone who didn't look like he had it all together. He was in exile. He was living in a foreign land. There were so many external pressures on him to bow the knee before the God of the day. But he had a very strong inner life. And there were two things that gave him the strength that he could be a blessing to so many people in God's story because of this strong inner life. The two things, the first one is that he spent a lot of time in prayer. Praying, not just that his circumstances would get better, but that he would be closer to God, that he could follow him and listen to him. But you know the other thing? In Daniel chapter 5, it describes what's called an excellent spirit resided in Daniel. The spirit of God was in this man who didn't look like he had it together, and yet his inside was formidable. And he could face anything that came his way. So it was prayer and the Spirit of God. And this is precisely what we are given when we place our faith in Jesus, an excellent spirit. But you might be asking, so why does Paul pray uh, that the Holy Spirit would dwell in our inner being and that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. Why does he pray that way if all Christians have the Spirit already residing in our hearts? Well, I want you to look at something in verse 17. It says, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And this, it, this verse, or this verb, it's actually helpful to know how it's used in other places. It's, it's used in its noun form. It literally means home. So, a better translation is that Christ has come to make his home in our hearts. He's making our heart his home. He's moving things around, and that takes time for a home to feel like home. When we moved into our house uh, about a year ago, uh, we moved from Asheville down uh, to Hendersonville. Uh, all my Hendersonville peeps out there. Um, you know, it took like maybe two weeks for it to not feel weird sleeping in that house. Uh, and then it took a couple more months for it to really start to feel like us, like our fingerprints were on things, you know? And it's taken at least a year for it to really, truly become ours, our home. Imagine what it will feel like in five, ten years, Lord willing. Some of you have lived in your, in your home for decades. How much does it look and feel and have your personality all over the place. And this is what Paul is kind of helping us to see, that Christ comes to change us from the inside out, to literally take up residence in our life through the Spirit. One author, Tom Carter, said this, 
Let's ask our Lord, is there anything in my life that makes you feel not at home? Our human nature likes to crowd Jesus out of the rooms in our hearts, even after we've given him full authority. And this is where prayer comes in. We need to regularly surrender the various areas of our lives to him. See, this is the importance of prayer. It reminds us just how important it is that Jesus has come into our lives. And yet, there's so much that we do or don't do that is somewhat of a stiff arm, like Georgia to Ohio State last night, giving the, the stiff arm to Jesus in the ways that we live, in the ways that, we, that we, we make decisions. Do we even consult him? Do we even ask him, Jesus, what do you think? These are ways that we subtly and sometimes overtly crowd Jesus out of our life. And many of us would espouse that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of our life, but the ways that we live, we're sort of giving him the stiff arm. But this is why prayer is so important. It's kind of like a reset. It's kind of like a conversation between a spouse when there's a bit of friction and you're not sure why, but you need to have that conversation to make sure things are okay. That's what prayer is. It's saying, Jesus, are we okay? Is there something in my life that's keeping you at bay? Are there areas in my life that aren't under your control, that I'm trying to control? This is why prayer is so important. Uh, When we moved down from Asheville, we we emptied out the piggy bank and we hired movers. It was worth every penny, guys. It was amazing. Um, They lifted things that I could never lift on my own. This is why it was worth it. And some of us, I think, have in our background, in our story, we have things that are much too heavy to carry on our own. Some of you carry trauma from childhood or later. Some of you carry besetting sins that you cannot shake no matter how much you've prayed. And perhaps you're doubtful that prayer can help if it hasn't, if it hasn't helped by now. And if that's you, remember what Paul says in verse 16. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened in your inner being. So what are the riches of his glory? Uh, Another passage in Philippians 4 helps us. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say he'll supply most of your needs. He doesn't say he'll supply some of them, but I can't, I can't touch that part over there. No, he says every need. On, on, on account of Christ, we have been given, been given all that we truly need. Not all that we want, but all that we truly need. He has secured our pardon, friends. He has adopted us into his family. We are sons and daughters of God on account of his grace alone. He has given us his spirit as we labor together to love God, to love our neighbor as ourself. He's given us his church to remind us, as we've been reminded today, that we are not alone. Even in the most painful moments of life, we are not alone. He has given us everything we need until he returns to make all things new and to bring healing in the areas that are so broken right now. We are in him. He is in us. We are rich where it matters most. This is what Paul is reminding us. 
we're rich in here. Do you live like that? Do you operate like that? Do you speak like that? You know, rich people, when you're around rich people, they speak in a certain way. They kind of carry themselves in a certain way. Kind of annoying, a little bit. (laughs) Just to me. What about us? We are rich in Jesus. Do we carry ourselves in that way? That we have more to give than maybe the average person because of him? We have more love, more time, more resources because of Jesus. Do we live, do we move like that? So this first petition is to have a strong inner life by a spirit. And next, Paul prays that we would grasp the limitless love of Christ. So this prayer to grasp his limitless love. Picking back up in verse 17, let's look there. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So this is the second petition uh, involving strength. Um, But this one, this goal is to grasp something that we often miss. If Paul... Paul realizes that we often miss this or he wouldn't have written this. The Spirit wouldn't have inspired um, him to write this for his readers throughout the last 2,000 years if we didn't miss it. And he wants us to have the power to grasp the vastness, the limitlessness, the infinite love of God. I want you to notice this too. This is not a prayer to love Christ more. This is a prayer that we would know his love more. If you're exhausted, like, let that just wash over you right now. This isn't a prayer for you to do more or to think more or to just get it together and and love God more. This is a prayer that you would know his love for you more. Let that just encourage your soul today if you're weary. If you're barely holding it together. Paul wants us, and really the Spirit inspiring him to write this, wants us to know the limitlessness of his love for us in Christ. This language of rooted and grounded mixes parallel metaphors. Um, Rooted, of course, is this agricultural metaphor, and grounded is sort of architectural. And we're going to look at those really quickly in turn. Um, One of the scriptures you hear this time of year is a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9 and chapter 11 um, in which uh, Isaiah calls the future Messiah, Jesus Christ, the root of Jesse, the root of Jesse. And one of my favorite poets, uh, Malcolm Geit, he based a poem on this, a really short one um, that I'm going to read for you. Malcolm Geit says this, All of us sprung from one deep hidden seed, rose from a root invisible to all. We knew the virtues once of every weed, but severed from the roots of ritual, we surf the surface of a widescreen world and find no virtue in the virtual. So that's just the first part. And he, you know, what is he saying? He's saying that the, the virtual world has failed to produce virtue. As that sort of earlier meme kind of illustrated, Right? It's failed to produce people who are closely knit and, and, and full of character and full of strength on the inside, mostly produced aimlessness and anxiety. But listen to what he says next. We shrivel on the edges of a wood whose heart we once inhabited in love, 
Now we have need of you, forgotten root, the stock and stem of every living thing whom once we worshipped in the sacred grove. For now is winter, now is withering, unless we let you root us deep within, under the ground of being, graft us in. And so if you're feeling shriveled, if you're feeling a lack of vitality and virtue, we need to check our roots. What are you rooted in? Who are you rooted in? Paul is helping us to see that we can be people of deep faith and to be nourished by the Son of God every day by the Spirit. And what he's helping us to see is that the most beautiful people in the world are those who are rooted in someone other than themselves. The virtual world makes us want to believe this this sort of lie that all we need is me. But what the scriptures remind us of, and this is why the scriptures are so important for daily life, is that we need to be rooted in someone else other than ourselves. If we're going to truly become like the people we long to be, strong in here, strong for our families, strong for our society that's shriveling up and unraveling before our eyes, we, to become rooted in Christ will make us beautiful, vital, fruitful people. This is what Paul is reminding us of. Now, this language of grounded, it's architectural. It's like the foundation of a building. Um, before living here, we lived in Boston, my wife and I, uh, for about a decade. And our church office was right downtown Boston, right on the Freedom Trail. Has anyone been to the Freedom Trail in Boston? few of you. So ours, our office was literally at the very beginning of the Freedom Trail, a really cool part of Boston. And a few blocks down, there was, for years, an empty, vacant, huge lot. Nothing going on, prime real estate. And I was just wondering if ever it was going to become something beautiful. Um, and then one day, uh, I looked over, and sure enough, a huge fence had gone up and a sign, and it said, uh, future... Uh, building of the Millennium Tower, and it was going to be a high-rise, you know, condominiums and beautiful 60-story building. And for months and months, it looked like nothing was happening. But I kept looking in, and, and the, you know, the excavator was there, you know, all these guys were there working, 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 but for months and months, for almost a year, they just went down, down, down. And then one day, they started going up. And then about a year later, it turned into this breathtaking building, 60 stories high. In order to go up 60 stories, they had to dig down. They had to build down before they could build up. And it works the same with experiencing God's love. We must be grounded in him. If we go deep with Jesus, nothing can shake us. Isn't Elaine a testament to that reality? Her beloved husband is gone. And she is full of joy in a way that I don't know if I ever could be but she has gone deep with Jesus for decades, and look what's happened. We're here talking about her. 
I'm here talking about her in front of hundreds of people. That's what Jesus does in our life, friends. When we're grounded in Jesus, it changes everything and nothing can shake us, not even death itself, because she knows where her husband is. She knows that Dick is with Jesus. And so she can have joy in the face of so much pain. In the face of so much loss, she can have peace. Don't you want that? I want that. Then Paul says one of the most beautiful promises in all the Bible, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know the love of Christ. Now, I realize that this is a Presbyterian church. Uh, this is, the, this is uh, a church that's part of the denomination that I was ordained in. I love many things about the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America. Some of you are like, what's that? Um, that's another sermon. Um, look, we Presbyterians, I think we, we do a lot of things well. And I think we care about a lot of things that are very important. We care a lot about biblical doctrine, that, the spirit, that we believe that the scriptures are the inerrant word of God. That's so important in our day and age where so many people are throwing out the scriptures. We believe that it's inerrant. We believe that it's our spiritual authority. We also believe that the gospel is useful. Um, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. We also believe that the Great Commission is something that we need to be a part of that Jesus has commissioned us to, make, to go and make disciples of all nations. These are just three of the many things that I deeply respect about our denomination. But one of our struggles in the PCA is that in an effort to protect the church from overemphasizing experience at the expense of doctrine, we have downplayed experience with God. In an effort to protect doctrine, we've downplayed experience. Because we've seen that doctrine can often get ignored in, in other sort of traditions. And so we've, we've held on to doctrine so tightly and sometimes too tightly. And what I mean by that is that we think if we have it all figured out up here, it doesn't really matter what's going on in here. And it really doesn't matter what we're doing with our lives. As long as we got the doctrine right, then we're okay. I've been there. And many of you have too, I think. Lord, forgive us for that. John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Notice Jesus did not say eternal life is to know doctrine. We cannot know God without doctrine, but we can know doctrine without knowing God. I've been there. I've been there this week. And many of you who are followers of Jesus have been there too. But this year can be different. That we can press into Jesus. That we can long for intimacy with Jesus. That we can long for communion with Jesus maybe more than every other year before. Because He is our life. When Christ, who is our life, appears, we will appear with him in glory. He is our life. He's not just our mental ascent. He's not just a textbook to know facts and figures. 
and chronology. He's not gospel pieces that we sort of put into our lives when something bad happens. We don't just play the, the right piece. No, we are called to a living, vibrant relationship with Jesus. That's why he came, friends. This is why he came to earth, that we would know God, that we would know him like we know our friends, like we know our spouse, but even more. Do you realize that you can know God? Do you realize that you can love him? Yes, you need to know that he loves you, but do you love him? Yes, you need to know that he would do anything for you. That's what the cross is about. But would you do anything for him? And if you're not there, welcome to the club. You can get there by the Spirit. And that's why community is so important to spur us on to know Christ to spur us on to love him more, to love each other more. Andrew Murray said this, the scripture are a means to an end, and that end is to secure the presence of Jesus in our lives all the day. Man. He is the end. God is the end of all things. The scriptures are a means to know him. Prayer is a means to know Him. Church and coming to worship is good, but it's a means to know Him. It's not an end in itself. But often we treat these things like ends in themselves, like a checkbox with God, a transaction with God, but He wants us to know Him and to love Him. And if you're lacking desire, God wants to fill you full. He wants to fill me full. And, and that's the last thing that he prays for and the, and the most brief I'll share. Filled with all the fullness of God. Uh, to understand Paul's petition, I think an analogy can help. Um, if you take a jar down to, let's say, the French Broad River, don't drink it because you'll get E. coli. Um, but let's just say you have a purifier in here and you take it down the quickest way to fill this jar full is to bend down and to dip this jar in the water and instantly it'll be full of gross water. <laughs> Jesus and his divinity is filled with all the fullness of God. That's what Paul says in Colossians 1.19, that Jesus is filled with all the fullness of God. And so if we want to be filled with God, we need to literally be in his presence and dip our bottle in his presence. But I think many of us do it differently. Many of us try a different technique. You know how uh, in the summer you go down to, you know, maybe a waterfall at uh, Davidson River, maybe uh, Looking Glass Falls. That's where my parents had their first kiss. Um, so weird to drive by there still. Um, <laughs> but I think some of us have a, an experience with God and we were filled full and we kind of feel good about that and we sort of never try that again. And we often go like this with our bottles up and waiting for the mist to fill this thing up. How long would it take if you're standing you know, at the base of, of Looking Glass Falls for this to get filled up with water? Probably all day, maybe two. 
You have to be like Moses, people out there holding your arms up. You can't, that's not a very effective way to be filled. And I think sometimes we treat church like that. Like, we're not really here. We're here in body, but we're not really here spiritually. We've kind of just, we're just thinking about tomorrow. We're just thinking about the football game. Look, football games are good and, and work's important, but are you here? And I think we sometimes think we can be filled with all the fullness of God if we just could sing a song or two and hear a sermon or, or ten. But what I want to encourage you to do is to realize what John Tyson says. The world tells us that we can have fullness without relationship, but Jesus says fullness is found only in relationship with him. The world will tell you a hundred times a day that you can find fullness in the next thing and more likes and more productivity and more fitness and more health. But Jesus said, it's only found in me. And do you pray like that? Do you read the scriptures looking for fullness or do you just read the scriptures just kind of like you do anything else, just sort of distractedly? Again, welcome to the club. I'm a pastor and I sometimes read this very distractedly, okay? So I'm with you in this. I need to be filled full too. I'm longing to be filled full in 2023. But how did we arrive here as people who prefer sort of content, who prefer religious stuff and busyness to the God of all things? The enemy is loving it when we in the PCA care more about doctrine than we do about his presence. And so friends, 2023 can be different We can prefer him above all things because of his grace, because he loves us that much. He loves us as you are, but he doesn't leave you that way. Don't settle for mist. Come to be filled full. This is why he came, right? Because he knows our proclivity to to think that we can find fullness outside of relationship with him. But in the garden, right, Jesus bowed his knees before the Father, pleading that the cup of wrath for our sin, for our selfishness, would pass him by. But he knew his purpose. He wasn't like those people in the meme. He knew exactly why he came. He knew exactly his purpose, which was to save sinners. And he listened to his Father And Jesus was emptied out for us so that we could be filled full of his love each and every day. Jesus did what we cannot do for ourselves. He saves, he restores, he resurrects, he fills full. Faith in Christ begins when hope in oneself to bring fullness ends. Faith in Christ begins when hope in oneself to find fullness, to bring fullness, ends. So how do we know if we've been filled full? Paul ends his prayer this way. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, and that's a lot. We can ask and think for a lot. He says, according to the power at work within us through the Spirit, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus We know we're filled full when we're living for him, when we're living for another story. We know we've been filled full. So if you're leaking, 
Have you been living for your own story? Have you been living for yourself predominantly lately? Again, welcome to the club, but we can be filled full so that we can live for him. He loves you that much. That's what the cross is all about, to transform destinies, to transform stories, to heal, to restore forever. What if we were filled full this year? What if our church was filled full? Imagine what God can do through us. So the worst thing we can do is to hear a sermon on prayer and to not pray. So we're going to pray. Um, I'm going to do something. Um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I'm going to, this was a prayer for the church. And so I'm going to give the church an opportunity to pray. If you feel comfortable to pray out loud, do it. And then I'll give us, I'll, I'll close us in just a few moments. I promise it won't go on too long. But pray with some of these themes in mind. Pray for your church. Pray for each other to be filled full. And again, no pressure at all to do this, but Paul gets down on his knees and he prays. Again, no pressure at all, but if you feel comfortable doing that, I just want to invite you to try. Um, And then after a time, I will close this in prayer. So let's pray together on behalf of our church to be filled full with the fullness of Jesus.
Yes. Yes, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, and do a renewing work in this church. Come, Lord Jesus, and make us people hungry for your presence, people who talk about Jesus, people who can't stop talking about Jesus that we'd be so filled with you that it changes the way we parent, changes the way we do business, changes the way we do retirement, changes everything about us. So come, Lord. We, like Ed said, we, we can't do it on our own strength. Unless you build the house, we're going to labor in vain. It's not by our might or by our power. It's by your Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So come, Holy Spirit, and do a great work in us. I pray also for Ben and Janae mm-hmm. that you would fill them full with the fullness of God. Light them up, Lord, with the love of Christ. Set aflame that church, people who love their neighbors as themselves and love God more than anything. Encourage their souls. I pray for the Hiltons who are here. Thank you for what you're doing through them now through Surge and their new role and for the work being done in London oh Lord bless bless Gary oh Lord just come and do what only you can do in this place in your people we thank you that we can pray like this because of Jesus we pray in his name Amen. amen